feel like it's about to go like blast off. Three, two, one, blast off. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Oh yeah. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. Hello. I am Sabrina. And I've been doing the um, New York Times crossword puzzle lately, but I was really excited because the mini today, one of the words was so applicable to what I'm covering today. Oh, what was it? Are you going to give us the clue? Yeah, I can give you the clue because you you kind of already know. I know. And people on Patreon will know because... That's one of one of the things if you join Patreon, you get either a sneak peek or a hint or just sometimes fully told the topic of what we're covering. <laughs> I feel like when the hints are given, they are um, so vague that I even, I have the Excel with all the answers, but I don't even know how to guess them. It's like a very difficult scavenger hunt. Yeah. Well, sometimes I just try to make them super, because I'm, everybody here is such an expert on the paranormal. And so I'm like, people are going to know, people are going to know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get more specific. Yeah, I can tell. I can just give a little teaser right now. Um, Great. The the clue was what pirates wear over their eye, and it was patch. And the clue for tonight or today, whenever you're listening, is pirate. Pirate. Arg. 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 We got that ill-gotten booty. Yes. Well, suddenly I was Scottish there. I don't know what happened. It was. Well, maybe you should make it a Scottish, Scottish pirate. Why yeah. not? Why not? This is, I, I feel like I wouldn't have, do I know that there are pirates involved here? I'm not sure I did. Yes. 100%. I know we, we have recently talked about this place. This is, this is just such a great example of we remember nothing. Because I'm like, I have no clue what you're even referencing. And I know we talked about this recently, the thing that you will be doing. And yet I have no idea. I can't remember any of it. That's okay. Well, that's even better because then you'll be surprised for the story because it is a good Perfect. one. Not to toot my it. own horn. But I mean, I can't actually. There's no reason to toot my own horn because I did not <laughs> write the story. <laughs> I didn't create it. I literally found it online. Actually, I found it because of a listener. It. I yes, I can take zero credit here. Honestly, some of the most fascinating topics. Sorry, also that I'm like so nasally today, but the, my allergy season is wrecking me. On us, I feel like some of the wildest cases and some of the most fun cases we get is through word of mouth too, because you know Google can only take us so far. And I love when people are like, "Have you heard this?" or "Have you heard of that?" And then it's some obscure thing, and we're like, "No, we've never." heard of that and it's not on any lists anywhere like you really have to dig to find those stories like unless you have the specific name of a place it might not ever come up in a general search Mm -hmm. yeah we have to like find the local high school middle school kids and be like hey what's the haunted place around your neighborhood (laughs) where are you guys going to make out and smoke weed (laughs) we want to go bring our our emf reader our 15 dollar emf reader did you ever go to a haunted place to make out with someone? No, but I just feel like that's such a teen movie trope, you know, where they like go into yeah. the woods and they go at the old band. Like that's that's the start of all of the the classic horror movies, right? Where like there's two kids making out on the side of the road, pulled off yeah. on like the deserted dirt up on the gravel like, the driveway. Overlook. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. But no, I mean, no. I kept my making out to just a minimal amount. (laughs) I did not. I was big. often. I made out a lot. There was one time I was, (laughs) I feel like I'm just, okay. Anyway, I was making out with one guy in. Were you about to tell us his name? Is that why you were like, why am I doing this? I was about to like. One boyfriend that, what's his name? Linguini? Linguini. Wait, what's his name? Guido was my very first. Oh, Guido. (laughs) (laughs) And I did not make out with him. I was in sixth grade. We never even talked. I was making out with a guy in his car at a park and a police officer came and asked for our IDs. He was 18. scary. I think I was 16. So I didn't have an ID. Oh my gosh. Was your heart pounding? You were literally pulled over by a cop for making out. Yeah. I mean, granted, wow. we were, yeah, we were parked, but yeah, we were, we got got. You got got. Did you make out again after that? Or were you too scared? You're like, this is such a high risk relationship. I, I need to be a little better, a little more goody two shoes here. I, I did make out with him again, but we don't have enough time to talk about the damage that that relationship did to me. So we'll have to start a new podcast and talk about our, past relationships and how fucked Cold, they were. traumatized. <laughs> I really... The new podcast I, brought to you by two girls. <laughs> I think the last episode we recorded, I came up with a name for a podcast called like the drama and trauma of family, That like mm-hmm. something like that. And I was like, that's actually a really good podcast and it could just be trauma and drama. And we can talk Talking about all it. of our traumas and the family drama or even it's like group friend therapy. drama. Yeah. 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 I love when podcasts, I know there are quite a few out there that are like gossip column podcasts where they'll find stories posted usually, I think, on Reddit and different forums like that, where you just get to hear all of the gossip of someone else's life without any of the identifying factors, which I like because I don't like drama in my own life. And if I hear about drama happening to someone else, there's a little bit of guilt for me, like listening in and hearing about what's happening. But if I don't know the people, I'm like, Ooh, this is so good. Like I'm so normal gossip. It. Yes. The podcast, yes. normal the- gossip. It is oh. so good. We've talked about oh. this. Have we? Yeah. Remember I, mean, I was like, so we many. should so many. do a crossover with them. They, um, we'll gossip have- about ghosts. Yeah. Ghosts are dramatic. Some of them. Leia's like, don't you dare. You heard her scream. She's like, don't say anything mean about me, mom. <laughs> I would never. Did you ever have the experience you? when you were younger where your mom, this is something my mom did and only probably a few times that I actually caught her and I was so mad at her. And now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, I understand. But she would, it wasn't talking shit, but she would like confide in friends and relatives about like having me as a daughter, the hardships that I brought going through puberty and she'd be like, yeah, she's doing this and she's doing that. I'd be like, stop talking about me. And I'd be like, this rage demon child, like scream. And that is why (gasps) she needed to talk to people about you. Yes. So before I was like, what a betrayal. How dare you tell what's happening in our home to someone else? Then I'm like, well, who she would have, she needs to to confide in someone. 
Yeah. So maybe I should be grateful that she was calling my grandma and not just blasting it <laughs> to everybody at the grocery store. I was like, no, get my name out of your mouth. I was really <laughs> hormonal. <laughs> As you know, we've all gone through that phase. Um, but yeah, I imagine that when we have kids, we will 100% talk to each other about what our kids are doing. Oh, we'll start a podcast about, we'll just air out all of our child. I'm excited no, no. We won't for that. our our segment that is going to be creepy kids and it's going to be all about our creepy kids. Yes. Oh my gosh. So when we were, we were, when you were in town, we met up with Ash and Elena from Morbid and, and got some breakfast, but I just love hearing their stories about their kids and all the, well, I say their kids because Ash is basically but, yeah. a, equally <laughs> involved, but I just Elena's love hearing too. all of the stories just about all of the odd things that kids say and like the stories people, your kids come home with too from different places that they go, like their friend's house and school and all of those things. And creepy kids are just so freaking fun. I love them. <laughs> we love creepy kids here at Two Girls and Ghosts. And I will be disappointed if my kids are not creepy. They better see something. <laughs> they better have some some ability out there to feel something, experience something. This is, I'm like very bothered right now because there was totally something I was supposed to be telling you, some sort of ghost story and I cannot remember it. That's okay. It'll come to me eventually. Okay. Well, I'll tell you something really exciting and non-ghost story. I just got a Wii and I have been playing Wii bowling so much. It is my, instead of being on my phone, like trying to, you know, like do something brainless, I get up and I play Wii Bowling. You could have given me 1,000 guesses and I would never have guessed that you bought a Wii and are doing <laughs> Wii Bowling. Where did this come from? How did this idea populate into your head? So when I was back at home, I saw the Wii set up and I was like, you know what? Like, it would be kind of fun to just like have a fun activity that I can do that gets me on my feet and is not, and is interactive. Like I can play with other people, you know? And I asked my mom if I could take the Wii and she goes, no, I use it sometimes. And I was like, when, when do you use it? And she goes, <laughs> just sometimes. And I was like, well, now okay. She's using it. And she doesn't. And my brother was like, my brother was like, mom, you don't use it. And she goes, I like to play with my friends. And I was like, you are having your friends over. I think she means her boyfriends because she, she, yeah. That makes sense. Yes. I was yeah. like, wait, all of her friends have wees? Because I was, for a second, I was getting confused. So wees, you can't, also saying wees sounds weird coming out of my mouth if I say it too many times. So when you use this contraption, you only play with the people in your own room, right? It's not like a headset you connect and can bowl with other people. It's not like a PlayStation. Game, as far right? as I know, I do think there is something called We Connect, but I don't mm. I don't have that. And I don't have interest in that. I like just we bowling. Yes. And I'm so good at it. <laughs> we sports all the way. And then I, I want to get Mario Kart and play that too. Did you see the new Mario movie? No, but I've heard it's good. It is good. It's just like a good, I mean, uh, people can't 
you can't go in and say it's bad because it's just what do you what were you expecting going into a movie like this if you come out and say that was that was bad i thought it was great would i buy the movie rent the movie probably not but i do i regret going and seeing it definitely not it was great it like called back to all of the characters that we had growing up playing mario kart and playing all of those games and there was a moment i was so excited and then i deflated a little bit because i realized it wasn't going any further where luigi goes into what was luigi's haunted mansion that game and he's in the mansion he just kind of like tumbles into the mansion he's hello hello and then he leaves and i was like no we're not gonna get to see all the ghosts and go through all of luigi's haunted mansion that was a little breadcrumb yeah it was a clue for all of us who loved that game which i played that so many times i i beat it beat it multiple times it was a fun game eight thank you so now I'm a gamer is basically what I'm saying. You're in your gamer era. This, you can start live streaming. You can be a pro, pro, uh, pro whoa. Wow. I'm stumbling because I'm just jazzed in about your new shock. business endeavor. <laughs> your hobby that I'm now making less fun for you because I'm turning it into a business. Um, like The oh, best thing to it. do is to be able to turn your hobbies into a business. Because then like this, Corinne, you and I talking to each other about yes. something that we love to talk about is a business for us now, which is the coolest freaking thing. And it feels so surreal. Like the fact that we just did two yeah. live shows and are hoping to do more. And it's almost six years of doing this. Is, Isn't that wild? Yeah. It's also, I feel like we're very lucky in that. And I'll speak for myself here. My My brain hasn't registered that this is my job yet. So it still no. feels very fun. Like everything about it is awesome and I want to do it and I would never not do it. And I enjoy doing like literally every aspect of it. And I was just thinking back to the, there were some studies done and experiments where kids would, it was basically like, if you pay someone to do the work that they enjoy doing, it does it become less enjoyable? And there was a study done with these kids where they were asked to draw and they all loved drawing. And then when they were asked, basically commissioned to draw pieces where it was now work they were given like specific instruction instructions of what to draw it became less fun and they became suddenly uninterested in it and so i kind of always had that study in the back of my mind like is this ever going to feel like that and it just hasn't and it's been six years so i feel like yeah it won't ever like it's just I, it's equally awesome every day i also think the difference is no one's asking us to do this that's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. It's completely self-motivated. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, oh. some people in our reviews are asking us to not Just do stop. this. <laughs> Please stop talking. I oh, will not write silence. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like we're doing something wrong. It's a little more thrilling, right? It is. Okay. Should we get into the spooky, spooky business? Yes, absolutely. Do you want to hear more about pirates? I do. Remind okay. me why I know these pirates. Uh, you will. You will be reminded very shortly. Okay. So, Corinne, I have a question for you. This yes. is how I will start my story. Okay. If you were not going to marry Brian. And if you were not going to marry Bigfoot, 
Who would you marry next? Harry Styles. Okay, in the paranormal realm. Andrew Ranson. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I wrote, if you said Andrew, you are correct. And because you said that, I know how much you love pirates and their booty. Um, Oh, my gosh. This story has pirates. It has booty, butt booty, and treasure booty. It doesn't really have butt booty specifically, but there are humans, <laughs> and that means that there are butts. So, therefore, there, there we go. Butts, butt booty exists. It also, Corinne, has unreliable characters, which I know how much you uh, like. Yes, I do and love a good story with an unreliable narrator. Yes, my you do. Favorite books, my favorite movies. Yep. Well, exactly. So you will love the story. It also has a lot of mystery. This is the story of Dungeon Rock in Lynn, Massachusetts. And I have to shout out Melanie, who sent us a personal encounter from this place. Because before that, I had never heard of this. I knew nothing of its existence. And so thank you, Melanie. We read Melanie's email back on Encounters 178, which is the one that you and I were hilarious in. It was the one where we were... (laughs) sitting on the couch with Ben in your apartment. And we when we get together, we kind of forget that we're recording normal. I feel like that just in general, but it's a little bit harder when we are recording over the internet because there's always just the slightest amount of lag and so we can't be as we're not as like yes with and. our yes, yeah. Yes. Okay. This story begins around the 1840s which if you remember anything, which we, Corinne, you and I never do, but this is also the height of spiritualism. All over the world, people were seeking contact with the other side through a whole plethora of manners. And I get, I was doing research and apparently there were 8 million followers of spiritualism in the United States and Europe, which I didn't realize it was that widespread, I'm, but it, I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a whole sect of spiritualists found their way to the town of Lynn, Massachusetts. Lynn, Massachusetts is considered to be in Boston's North Shore. I'm sure, Corinne, you can speak to the area much better than I can. But Lynn is the largest city in Essex County, Massachusetts, and sits on the Atlantic Ocean just 30 minutes from where you live. I'm also realizing, because I just went onto the map, because I was like, how do I not know about this place? And I'm realizing I drive by it all the time. And also Walden Pond, I think is one of the places that people go to like the beach or just to walk the trails. I think that's a really popular spot. So there's a lot of people, I guess myself included, that probably go right by this and spend time next to it and have no idea of the hauntings. Um, I mean, I feel like that happens all the time. The amount of places that we are in or go past and have mm-hmm. no idea it's haunted. Like you staying at the Congress Hotel after I even told you it was haunted. Sometimes our memories protect us <laughs> either from to keep us safe or just because sometimes we're on our in our stupid era and that's where <laughs> I am right now. Ask me questions about gardening. I'll know the answer, but anything about anything else, no. Don't actually well, ask me anything <laughs> Okay, this is episode 222, which means that you and I have probably done research on over 200 places. 
definitely more than that. Because think of how many places we've done research on and then changed our mind and done something else right. <laughs> instead for that episode. Oh my gosh, so many. It just that's a lot. That's a lot on top of every day having to navigate life. It's difficult. I think if all if all stressors were eliminated in life, I'd be able to remember everything. But right now our brains are kind of just like keeping us just moving, getting to the next day. Yeah. I don't think I would remember everything no matter what. <laughs> but you know what? That's fine. I'm happy with my life. Okay. 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 <laughs> I am. I really am. I'm convincing myself. I am. I have, am in a much Speak better it place you feel in my it. life. Well, yeah. And I also, mm-hmm. there was a point probably six months ago where I would say like I was really, really in a low place, but I have done a lot of work since then. A lot of soul searching, a lot of like the we, for example, like I want to reconnect with my inner child and I'm just doing things that bring me joy. And so and now you wake up and you go wee bowling, which I just <laughs> love. I, there's this trend on TikTok where people are like, here's a life in my morning. That, that wasn't English, but basically they're just like, here's my Family morning life, routine yeah. and here's what yeah, here's what you need to do to be a successful this or whatever. And then I wake up at 4 a.m. and then I journal and then I meditate and then I drink my coffee and then I make a smoothie and then I pick my berries and they have like this big thing that just feels so intimidating. And I'm just like, oh my God, I I don't think I could ever be this person. I don't think I can ever get here and have that motivation. And that doesn't seem fun to me either. And I love the reverse of that where you're like, my morning routine is I get up. <laughs> And I start bowling on my week. <laughs> I'm <laughs> gonna I make so much fun doing it. I'm gonna make a my morning routine, and I will do exactly. Please do, please Wait. do, because it's not a joke. It will feel like a joke. I think when people watch it, but it's real and it's good. Wait, do you, you have your phone? Stuff like that. Can you yes. text me right now so that okay, after I this I have your text and I will be reminded to do it. One thousand percent. I was so excited for this. It truly is. It's now it's now a part of my everyday. All right. I guess, Corinne, can you speak to Lynn, Massachusetts a little bit more? Because I imagine you've been there. Sure. Lynn is a beachside town. There are different neighborhoods in Lynn. And so, honestly, I've only really driven through Lynn or driven mostly by the coast. They have uh, the Christmas tree shops there. Oh. I guess just a lot of access to the water and the ocean. They have this beautiful walkway along the ocean. That's a wonderful path that people are constantly picnicking on and biking and walking their dogs. And that's really lovely. And Lynn is also extremely close to Salem and Marblehead. So you, Sabrina, have also been through Lynn multiple times, but just the driving route, we haven't stopped. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, yes, it's a bigger town though. It's a there's a, a larger population of people that live in Lynn. Yeah, it's the largest city in Essex County. So yep. yeah, North Shore Large. of Massachusetts. I think it primarily has a lot more condos as well compared to a lot of the other towns. So there's more opportunity for people to find a place there. Yeah, I love. I mean, just the coastal towns of Massachusetts are absolutely beautiful. And you know, mm-hmm. and I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but Marblehead is like, is it has a piece of my soul. Like I feel like 
if we talk about shadow work and pieces of our souls fracturing off, I believe there is a part of my soul that is literally in Marblehead and I am more complete when I am there. I love that. I mean, let's remember your astrocartography chart. It literally had you in this area as well for yeah. being happy and supported. So, and even when we were in Portsmouth, we should look back on that chart because it probably, if it, because you felt good in Portsmouth too, maybe not as much as you felt spending all that time in Marblehead, but I bet the line probably goes like straight through the two. I bet. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, go back and look because I don't remember any of my other lines. There's so many lines on <laughs> I know. Okay. So a little bit more uh, information on Lynn. And of course, there's so much more history that we are not going to cover right now. But as with a lot of the US or America, it was originally inhabited by native tribes until the English colonization in the 1600s. And when the area was colonized, the English brought over disease and greed So there was a bout of smallpox and then the really deadly and bloody King Philip's War. Basically, by 1686, the colonists had fully pushed the natives out of their land. Um, That's basically all to set the stage. Lynn has a lot of history, which involves bloodshed, trauma, pain, and greed, which helps us understand the kind of energy that may be left behind and stain the land to this day, which means... Ghosts. 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 Hauntings. Why we've gathered here today. Yes. Oh, very spooky. I kind of like... What if we just had uh, spoke like that the entire time? I think we'd lose people pretty quick. There is so much history that we could cover regarding Lynn. I kind of like that. <laughs> Honestly, maybe that's our sleep version of the podcast. We just talk like this. And everyone just begins. Lull, is lulled off into their slumber, listening to ghost stories spoken in this Strange. weirdly assertive yet soothing <laughs> tone. Not sure if it's, yeah, not sure it where like it comes from, but yes. Severus Snape a little bit. I feel like it's inspired I, by Snape. And honestly, Alan Rickman might be part of my soul as well, equivalent to Marblehead. So... Mm-hmm. RIP, my my friend who doesn't know me, I very much believe he and I are connected. Okay, I will not speak like that, but I will say this story of Dungeon Rock begins in 1852. Well, it actually, it begins way before that, but I'll get to that. So basically where it begins for us in the sake of history is in the late 1840s. A man named Hiram Marble was an active spiritualist and he and the spiritual group he was in met on a frequent basis and would hold seances and try to make communi- or try to make contact with the other side on a very frequent basis like this was their life they had mediums among them they would hold seances they you know would do like the table knocking and they basically used any form of contact that they could Mm-hmm. I do believe seances was kind of like the primary way of contacting the spirits. Yeah. But according to Hiram, so we just experienced some great technical difficulties, but we're back. Sorry. It was me. I, 
It was the ghost. I always think of now when we were talking, when we had Em and Christine on our show from, and that's why we drink. And I'm kind I always of think of, <laughs> No, I think of the the time that Christine fell asleep. Oh, oh. <laughs> and Em was just stuck there and was like, hello, Christine. <laughs> and then they, they come back and it says, good morning. And they explain that the part two of their episode is recorded the day after because Christine had fallen asleep. In the middle of recording. <laughs> Just lulled to sleep by the sound of their voice. Irma is soothing. I, I love stories. Love Told it. I am. Okay. So we're back to our story. Mm-hmm. So according to Hiram, he did make contact with a spirit. The spirit of a freaking pirate. Ooh, an iPad wearing pirate? Probably not. What I've gathered from my research is that Haram made contact with this spirit during a session with a medium. The medium was suddenly overtaken by the spirit, the man named Thomas Veal. Thomas Veal revealed that he was a pirate who came to Lynn back in the 17th century. So Thomas the pirate informs Hiram that there was treasure buried beneath the land in Lynn. And naturally, as anyone would, Hiram's interest is like super peaked. Mm-hmm. He's like, treasure? What? Buried here in Lynn? So Hiram was determined to find it and was like, I'm not going to stop until I do. And just as a little note, because I want to be grounded in some sense of reality here, <laughs> um, I know that's usually not what we do here at Two Girls, One Ghost, but. We do know as for a fact that Hiram believed this and there are records of everything that happens moving forward in this story. But one major part of the story that a lot of people question is the validity of Thomas Veal. I say that just so that you have some context, but okay. I am going to completely tell you the story of Thomas Veal as if it is real. Great. Thomas Veal is real in my mind. <laughs> as the legend goes, It was 1658 in Lynn, Massachusetts. The colonists are continuing to push the native tribes out of their own land, claiming it for themselves. And one day, in late summer, an ominous ship sailed into Lynn Harbor. It was painted all black, had no flags and no identifiable markings. Which, if you saw that sailing into your port back in the day when the attack from sea is a massive threat. I assume, and as it is said, according to the internet, the people in Lynn were like, "Uh uh-oh, pirates are coming to our land. Yes. We are in trouble. Under attack. Well, honestly, not to to, uh, pull us too far off course, but when I was in Marblehead the other day, crafting in the cemetery with my friend Allison... We walked over to the fort that that you and I had walked through when we were there. And there's a house set up where that was basically the fort. Because I was like, oh, whose house is that? And she was like, no, 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 that's the old fort. That before America was ever established back in 1776, like for, for many decades, this was the building that Marblehead used to look out for the threat coming from the ocean. So it was always there. It was always a worry of everyone who lived here. Kind of ironic that everyone came here and 
took everything from the native people and then were suddenly super paranoid that someone would do the same to them, telling on themselves. It's also interesting. The other day I was driving kind of past the beach and I just saw like a massive boat out on the water. And I was like, the first thought I had was, what is that boat? And which is interesting because I would like, we have no reason to fear boats coming in or mm. being in our oceans. But I was like, why did my brain go to that? And maybe it's just the, my imagination, but perhaps I also maybe lived in a time where that was a threat in the in a past life. Yeah. And I think we also just know. kind of live in this age of paranoia right now with every with the amount of That's information true. sharing available on the internet and social media platforms. There's like always something like, did you see this? Did you see that? The threat's here. No, it's there. Now it's here. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. So the people of Lynn, when they see this all black, ship coming into their port are terrified. They all like run into hiding. You know, they get the people who are, you know, soldiers and stuff get ready to fight these pirates who they assume are going to come off their ship and raid their land. But a raid never came. Slowly, they kind of come out of hiding and they're looking and they're like, what's going on? And they see four men or pirates, that is, moving a large chest onto a smaller rowboat, and they row up the Saugus River, which to me, it's like, okay, these pirates are not doing what is expected of pirates. And not only that, but now they are putting a strange chest into a little rowboat. Yeah. It's I feel like that is very suspicious. And it, this whole story kind of gives me Pirates of the Caribbean vibes. Mm -hmm. So not strange or anything at all. The workers at Saugus Ironworks find a note nailed to their door. And this note had a series of requests. It asked for a supply of manacles, digging tools, chains, and some other tools. The note asked the ironworkers to collect the requested items and leave them in a secret location for these four men who just arrived at the port in a mysterious way. In exchange for what? Are they getting paid? Well, that's the, yes, they are. Because, you know, you see that note and it's like, why in the world would these iron workers do such a thing for pirates who they just do not know? Well, the pirates made it a very enticing situation. They said on the note, if the men gave the tools that were asked of them, they would be rewarded with a chest of silver. Oh, okay. I can see where the motivation lies here because I'd be like, okay, well, I don't know who these people are, but it's worth a risk gathering these items if I actually get a chest of silver in return. If not, I'll feel jaded and I'll never trust anyone again. <laughs> but but it's worth, worth the just risk. Just try once, yeah. And you know what? They These pirates had already defied stereotypes. They didn't come in and attack. They're not asking for like guns and things. They're asking for tools. These men at the iron factory, iron works, decided to put in an order for the tools and they brought them to the spot where the exchange was to happen and received their silver. It took place you know, very cordially. It was a good business deal. No one tricked anyone. 
And the place is now known as Pirate's Glen, the spot where the exchange happened. And uh, unfortunately, while it sounds very peaceful right then and there, and despite the pirates coming and creating fair commerce in the town, the British soldiers got greedy. Or I guess I shouldn't say got greedy because they, from the get-go, have been. Yes very greedy. But so they decide, you know what? These pirates have silver and we want it for our own. So instead of being peaceful in return, we're going to go raid the pirates camp. So they go out into the woods and they raid the camp because they assume there's more treasure to be found. They caught three of the four pirates and hung them. But the fourth man a man by the name of Thomas Veal escaped into the forest with the silver. I'm picturing him running like Jack Sparrow too, just kind of yeah. His his holding hips first, his head behind him, holding the heavy chest, <laughs> a little drunk, arms splayed, claws out, yes. <laughs> claws out. Um, yeah, and he ran and ran and was seeking shelter and safety from these soldiers who had kidnapped and killed his three friends. And that is when he found a cave. So he ran inside this cave with his treasure and decided to hide there. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons that people don't believe this part of the story. But the one part that I don't believe is this. Because apparently after hiding in the cave for a little while, he slowly integrated himself into the Lynn Society and started doing like odd jobs. And I just have a hard time believing that because if these soldiers were went and attacked the pirate camp because they wanted the silver and found three of the four men and no silver. I don't believe that they would just let Thomas Veal integrate himself into society and not kidnap him and find his money. And how does he escape with a big chest of silver too? That would be extremely heavy. Well, the one thing that we don't know is how much silver, what it was in. We don't really know. So what we do know, or what we believe to know at this point, is that Thomas Veal escapes from the British soldiers and is able to exist in the Lynn Society. And he's like going into Lynn to get food and, you know, does odd jobs to maintain a semblance of a life. But he lives in this cave. He lives there with his treasure. Sadly, in 1638, there is a massive earthquake that hits the New England area. And this is, in history, the largest earthquake to ever hit New England. I think it's called the New Hampshire earthquake of 1638, but it's massive. It was like magnitude 6.5 to 7 on the Richter scale. And it shook the land for four whole minutes. Whoa, that's so scary. And it's the first time anyone, these colonists, had ever experienced an earthquake. So it was horrifying. Yeah, and you can only imagine what what the structures were like too, especially not ever anticipating an earthquake. I'm sure they didn't have anything built structurally to withstand especially four minutes of that at that magnitude. And I think there, I didn't write this down, but there's, if you look up 
the New Hampshire earthquake of 1638, there's a record because I guess there was one town that was having a town hall when it happened. And so they have the writing written of literally the experience as it was happening. And, you know, I think back in the day, a lot of these natural disasters were believed to be acts of God, like punishing them for doing something. Um, So the quote is very God-related. But what happened after this earthquake, I mean, it impacted the New England area for kind of a really long time because temperatures shifted and crops started freezing. And so there was a lot of people going hungry. That is beside the point. I just thought that was a fascinating piece of history. What is the point is that when this earthquake happened, Thomas Veal, our pirate and his booty, were in his cave. And when the earthquake started to shake the ground, the foundation of which the cave existed upon split, causing the cave to cave in. So not only is there treasure hidden somewhere, but next to it is the skeleton of a dead pirate. Correct. That kind of makes me want to look for it more. (laughs) (laughs) So Thomas Beale was basically buried alive, trapped in the depths of now the ground in this cave along with his treasure. So fast forward 200 years, and this is where we're back with Hiram. And Thomas makes his spirit known to the spiritualists in Lynn, specifically to Hiram Marble. And the reason why the story is sometimes d- not believed is because the legend of Thomas Vale wasn't written about until a hundred or so years after the, you know, the pirate ship arriving and him living in this cave was said to happen, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So people are like, well, if Thomas really existed, if these pirates arrived ashore in Lynn back in like the 1600s, wouldn't there be record of that? Wouldn't someone have written it down? But it's also believable, and this is me trying to convince myself that this is a real story, that the records just don't exist or that they were damaged. Who knows how many fires have happened since then? Like there are a plethora of reasons that could explain why those records. And too, I feel like there were so many records that were just kept incorrectly and it was all based on whoever the storyteller was and what they wanted to portray. And so I could totally believe that maybe there was some embarrassment regarding what happened in the story and that, it was just mm-hmm. omitted or changed based on whatever they were trying to further yeah. themselves. It even still happens. Yeah. That, that is still current true. problem, current day. Yes. Either way, whether you believe the validity of the story of Thomas Vale or not, Hiram Marble does. And he and his spiritualist group met and carried out seances at Jesse Hutchinson's stone cottage in Lynn. And that is where they made contact with Thomas Beale. Thomas's spirit informs Hiram of the buried treasure and the cave that caved in. And Hiram is like, well, I know what I need to do. Find that treasure. In 1852, Hiram Marble decides to buy five acres of land in Lynn, Massachusetts, that encompassed the land that the cave was said to have existed on. So basically now he owns that land. It's his and he moves his wife and kid to this new home and informs them 
we are going to dig out that cave and find the treasure. Oh my God. I hope his children were just so full of joy and excitement because I feel like that is the best thing ever. It's like we get to move (laughs) to a new place and there's literally buried treasure. We're all going to go on a treasure hunt here. Yep. What a dream. Yeah. It sounds like a dream. And at the time it probably was. It was a, you know, it was a massive dream that Hiram was following. And to, to be as an added bonus, he, you know, a lot of people were questioning the validity of spiritualism and, you know, believed that it was fraudulent. And there were a lot of people who were fake and using it as a way to like con people into giving them money. So he was hoping that in addition to getting rich and finding this treasure, that it would help prove the validity of spiritualism. Because if he found the treasure based on communications with this deceased pirate, it proves that a ghost directed him there. So he goes on this journey and starts to dig out the cave. But first, I wanted to show you a photo of Hiram outside of his home because I just think old photos are really beautiful. Oh, how cool. Isn't it pretty? It's so pretty. It kind of already also, looks like. Why don't they make windows like that anymore? The what do you mean? Like those windows are so expensive to. Like now, oh yeah, the, the affordable windows are just like cheap. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at like the yeah the twelve pane typical yeah. colonial window, and now they are quite expensive. And one of the things that I understand why they've changed it, but it does kind of take away a little bit from it in my opinion is now they put if you get a window like that with with the paneling oftentimes they'll put the wood inside of the glass basically like in between the windows the outer and the interior so that when you're cleaning it's easier because you don't have to clean in between every single pane because that the dust and everything is such a pain but there's something so beautiful about these. I know. My parents have these in their house. I think I decided as of recently that my style of home that I would really like is not necessarily Victorian, but Tudor. Oh, you're a Tudor house girl. I'm a Tudor girl. Well, I think if you live in California, you'll there's I think there's quite a few Tudors out there. There are a couple. Yeah. Not a lot, but there there is some. More than Victorian, I will say. Okay. So Hiram, you can see this home. It's five acres of land. Hiram spent his entire life savings on this property. That is how much faith he had in this contact with Thomas Veal's ghost. He is like, I'm going to spend every single cent to own this land because it's going to be worth it. I'm going to find the treasure and all the money I, it's going to be more than all the money I'm spending. He even started to sell bonds to investors and promised to share a profit of the treasure once they found it. And he was, I really, what I really appreciate about Hiram is he had really good intentions as well. He basically was like, once I find this treasure and carve out this cave, I want this land to become a public park, a, an so area sweet. where people can come together. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. Well, he succeeded now knowing what it is today. Yes, he did. 
So Hiram employs his son, Edwin, to help dig this cave. Either he employs him or Edwin is also excited, like you were saying. Like Edwin's like, yes, I'm all in too. Yeah, dad, let's go find some treasure. And so Hiram and Edwin and the spiritualist group continue to communicate with Thomas Beale. Thomas has like very specific instructions on where to dig, which way to continue, going right or left or straight, etc. And Hiram and Edwin spend day after day doing the grueling physical labor that is required to dig out a fallen cave. With each day that passed, they were becoming more aware of the fact they had not found the treasure yet. By 1863, the tunnel was 135 feet long and seven feet wide and the height of an average person. Okay. So like, it's pretty this massive. This is a giant tube. Yes. This cave is big. And they don't have... They don't have modern day technology. They're not like using drills and stuff. It is shovels. They are shoveling rock, dirt, the, the, the ground. And the thing is already caved in once. So who's to say that it's it's safe to be in there at all? It could be so unsteady. Well, That's so scary. And the opening to the tunnel that they had created, I think it had collapsed a couple of times oh, like while they were God. doing it. Luckily, never when they were in it. But so the opening of the tunnel was created to the immediate right of what Thomas had said was the original entrance to the cave. So Marble was planning to dig a tunnel parallel to what the cave had been and then turn left and dig into the cave from the side. For some reason, Marble did not do this and instead veered the tunnel away from the opposite direction of the cave, which is something that the ghosts apparently told him to do. Mm -hmm. And if you remember from our story, the, from Melanie's story, mm -hmm. the ghosts there are known to mislead and misdirect yes. people. Yes. Suddenly you're, you're yes. going left, but then they tell you to go right. But then actually you were supposed to go the way that you were originally going, but now they're directing you north. Yes very confusing. I mean, it is possible that while in the cave, Thomas like buried the treasure in a different location. Like he moved, like he dug something, you know? Oh, like while he was trapped wasn't, in the cave, like he didn't die right away no, upon the earthquake. No, I mean, before, before the cave caved in, like he was living in the cave for a oh. while. It's very possible he got tools and dug towards the left or right of the cave and put it somewhere that technically wasn't a part of the cave. Or being in the cave was just a misdirection entirely, and it's nowhere near the cave. Or it's just 10 feet outside of the cave where no one's digging. Well, so this is what I'm saying. So like, yeah, so he was digging in a direction opposite of the cave, which is why people were confused, but that's what the ghost Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about in the cave, but just a different section of the cave. But the ghost no, no, no. Said, like get out of the cave and dig over here in this part of the land. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yes. But like maybe you need to have access kind of to the cave in order to have gotten to that original part. I don't know. But anyway, Hiram says that he received the following message from the ghost of Thomas Beale. Again, this is through a medium. But these are this is the quote. My dear charge, you solicit me or Captain Harris to advise you as to what to do next. As to the course, you are in the right direction at present. You have one more curve to make before you take the course that leads you to the cave. We have a reason for keeping you from entering the cave at once. Moses was by the Lord kept 40 years in a circuitous route. 
ere he had sight of that land which flowed with milk and honey. God had his purpose in doing so. Notwithstanding, he might have led Moses into the promise in a very few days from the start. But no, God wanted to develop a truth, and no faster than he, minds of the people were prepared to receive it. Cheer up, Marble. We are with you and doing all we can. Your guide, Tom Veal. Two things about this. The first, if Tom Veal was a pirate, he's speaking very colonial. It's pretty preachy, but... And he believes in God, which also doesn't feel very pirate. Like, he has the same religious belief as is insinuated by this quote. Yeah, and he was also living the at a time when all of the colonists were primarily Puritans. But I don't know. I guess there's different people, different areas, different beliefs. Yeah. Anyway, so it kind of makes me doubt a little bit the validity of Tom Misfeel. But the marbles continue to dig. And over time, they're starting to feel a little bit defeated. They're completely out of money. They thought it would be much easier to find this treasure. And they're basically like, while we continue to dig, we need to find some way to bring in money. And so they decide to offer tours of the cave for a small fee. And it became known as Dungeon Rock. Um, There's a little bit of discrepancy of terms of like when it was named Dungeon Rock and why. Some people say it's because it like trapped the pirate or maybe there's a formation of a rock. I I do not know. But it is called Dungeon Rock and is still known as Dungeon Rock. And these tours were meant to keep the Marble family afloat until they discovered the treasure. Unfortunately, Hiram continued to search for the treasure until his dying day. He died empty-handed on November 10th, 1868, at the age of 65. His son, Edwin, was so determined to continue his father's search because they had come so far and he was not ready to give up. So, after his father passed away, he continued to dig and dig and dig for another 12 years until he, too, died without ever discovering the treasure. Which does make you think that they were truly experiencing interactions with paranormal beings, whether it be the original oh, absolutely. person or just other ghosts in the area. Because why would you have that much dedication towards digging and have no no reward? Like no nothing that makes you feel like you're getting closer. Physically, yeah. it's only what you're being told by the spirits, how the spirits are directing you. So it does make me really yeah. make me believe that the ghosts were t- absolutely interfering there. Yeah, I mean it's it's a combination of things that could be possible. One, they are communicating with the spirits and they are misleading them. Two, the medium who was saying or speaking on behalf of Thomas Veal was pulling their legs and just like messing with them and leading them. If that's the case though, I feel like at some point the medium would be like, I'm just messing with you guys. Like don't do this anymore. Or also on the other opposite hand, like maybe it got so carried away that he was like, it's too late. I can't tell them. You can't go backwards. Yeah. Or you just convince yourself of these things. You're like, 
yeah. well, maybe they are on something. Maybe I can communicate with this person. Maybe, you know, it's hard. Our brains are yeah, powerful. They are. So sadly, Edwin dies. But on his deathbed in 1880, he makes one request. He requests that he be buried at Dungeon Rock. And he was. So if you visit the area today, you may see the spot Edwin was buried. There's no tombstone, but at the top of a set of stairs beginning next to the old cave hole stands a large pink piece of rock, and that is the marker for his burial ground, which I think is really fascinating. Um, After Edwin died, there was no family to inherit the land, so the city of Lynn purchased it and turned it into a public park, just like Hiram had always desired, which makes me happy because at least one of his dreams came true. To this day, no one has found the treasure, or that's at least what we've been told. I feel like we've talked about this before with treasure, of finding treasure that exists on public land, or like finding treasure in in general, like you wouldn't have the right to owning it right away. No. I mean, I feel like that's that's half of the show Pawn Stars. It's like, I found this thing through this other person who my great-grandmother knew. And and it's just like hidden and passed down for so long until it's you, you really don't know how someone got in possession of something because probably it was stolen or you weren't really supposed to have it or there's something wrong with you specifically having it and not someone else. Yeah. I do wonder though, like, yes, there are metal detectors, but there has to be more technology into analyzing different levels of the ground and like finding objects. Like I know there's the... It's just resources. Like you can do anything you want if you have the money. That's true. I think it's money-based. It's also kind of like, I don't know how people feel about this, but I feel like it would be so smart to have a full body scan done every single year. And it's expensive. And also, I feel like there's a weird conspiracy with it where like the medical industry doesn't want that because then they they would lose money if people are catching things too early. Well, and then there's also things just like with our medical devices and like you're not supposed to have certain things done to a certain... like as frequently, you know, like there could be still harm from certain rays and radiations and things that we do use to treat other things. It's so convoluted. But one of the things that I really do like is with natural medicine. And we've said this before, we're not full, like don't take medicine. Like there's plenty of, I take lots. There's plenty of medicine being ingested by us that were prescribed by doctors and sold in, in pharmacies. However, I do really like that Oftentimes when there are particular ailments happening that nature tries to correct itself. So like if you have a lot of, this, I'm not going to like be able to describe a good example, but basically if there's a geographical location where a lot of people come in contact with poison ivy, nearby there will also be other plants that can be used to like crush up and treat poison ivy. Like it always tries to course correct. Interesting. Anyway, no one's found the treasure, which is very sad. Um, But they have found ghosts. So that is what we are here to talk about. Basically, 
visitors have had their fair share of paranormal encounters. They've seen the spirits of Thomas Veal, of, Har- of Hiram Marble, and of Edwin Marble. Some hear a man screaming for help within the caves, and they believe it to be Thomas's spirit kind of reliving the moment of the earthquake and getting trapped in the cave. Um, it also could be Hiram and Edwin, like, asking for help to find the treasure, or perhaps, like, my theory is that maybe in their ghostly forms, they have found the treasure, and there's maybe an element of, okay, well, first of all, let me <laughs> back up. Melissa's email to us, she she spoke of how they had a variety of encounters with who they believe to be other visitors in human, like human visitors in the park area. But people were just a little bit off and they kept giving strange directions to Melissa and their friend. Right. There was a confused couple. There was like a guy on a bike, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So it is clear that the spirits of Dungeon Rock manipulate, mimic, and mislead. So Dungeon Rock is home to the misleading, manipulative mimics. So my theory is twofold. One, that perhaps the spirits have since found the treasure in their ghostly forms. And maybe one of them wants people to find it, but another one doesn't. And so there is this misleading, like one type of spirit trying to direct people towards, and then the other spirit intervenes and like leads people astray. So it is very confusing experience for people who are in the area. Well, all the people who've ever treasure hunted probably do want someone to find the treasure, right? To, to prove that their name is not associated with someone who tried to dig holes for 30 years mindlessly and appear mm-hmm. to be a little bit what people might say like, oh, they've lost their marbles a bit. So maybe they're trying to like prove like, no, I was onto something. The lost really- their marbles. How apropos of the marble family. Of the mar- Yes, exactly. I didn't even think of that. But so, so that's what I was thinking of. Like they would probably, the father and son would probably want to bring people towards the treasure if they've found it. But then Hiram is probably like, get off my land. Get off my space. Do you mean Thomas? Oh, wait, sorry. Thomas, the pirate, the pirate. Thomas. Yes, the pirate. I mean, it's also possible that Hiram and Edwin are a little bit like angry because they spent so long looking for it. Like maybe Thomas wants people to find his treasure, but Hiram and Edwin are like, how dare you? You led us astray for so many years or like just didn't really help us very clearly. Now we know it is, and we don't want other people to have it. Or maybe they're just as, what if the Marble family don't, know that they're dead and so they're still going and searching for it in all these different directions and so they're unintentionally leading other people in the wrong direction because they're still following these misleads and still looking themselves in spirit form and that maybe it's just thomas who's orchestrating the whole thing i don't know I guess we will have to go and do our own little research. Hey, next um, time you're in Boston, let's do it. 
I know. I mean, this is why I really wanted to research it and understand the full story because after we read Melissa's email, we were like, should we go? And then we just didn't have time because we had so many other plans. But now I'm like, this one's stuck in my head. So there's the misleading spirits. A lot of people have seen different entities. Some people have also seen a shadowy figure cloaked in red strolling through the forest near the cave. Um, People don't really know what this apparition could be, but it could be something from a different time. Keep in mind, okay, so this area of Dungeon Rock, it was five acres, right, when the when the Marbles owned it. Now it is part of Lynn Woods Reservation, a 2,200-acre forest with over 30 miles of trails for hiking, horseback riding, and mountain biking. So that's a lot of land. And like I said in the very beginning, there's a lot of traumatic dark history that exists on this land. So there's a lot of different types of energy and potential spirits that could be wandering the area. Totally, totally. So they don't all or probably aren't all connected to the treasure and Thomas and the Marble family. But the cave itself is open, apparently only in the warmer months, and you have to request access with the park rangers so that they know you're in there. So if if you request access, the park rangers will open the steel door that basically prevents people from going into the cave if they don't have permission. Um, it can be, I think it's open from like 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. in the winter months if you ask for access. Do you just ask and then they give it to you or do you have to have good reason? I think you can ask. I think it's, you can ask. It's just for safety for like, okay, if three people went yeah. in, we need three people coming out in 30 minutes. Exactly. Yes. Because this cave is extremely dark and it winds for 135 feet. And kind of like I said earlier on, like they didn't dig this tunnel or cave in a straight line. It is like winding and weird. The directions change like randomly because of the way that they were directed by Thomas's spirit to dig. That freaks me out way too, too much. Yeah. It's very clearly dug by man. Like you can tell it's hand dug. Well, and too, and because very- it's winding, imagine how many shadows are cast because of the odd angles and just how many opportunities there are for some creature or entity to kind of be like peeking out from around the corner. Mm-mm. Yeah. I will, yeah. I will stay on the outside of the cave. I will walk <laughs> around Linwood's preservation, but I will not enter that cave. It's also like, if you look at photos of it, there are some areas that are kind of wide. Like it, it was said to be seven feet wide, but then like the height is that of an average person. So there are some people who are going in there and have to like kind of bend Punch down. down. Yeah. And there are other parts that it's not seven feet wide. So it, I feel like if you're claustrophobic, I do not recommend going. Um, if you're afraid of the dark, I also don't recommend going. It's So it's very dark. It's very wet. And at the very end of the tunnel are two pools of water, which is where the marbles stopped their day. Oh. Um, it's also been, it floods sometimes, like, and, and has to be closed and people can't access it. Um. And I don't think you're allowed to bring any of your digging tools. So if you were like, hey, they must have been so close. Let's just like keep digging a little bit. I just don't think you will be able to. Um, okay, I'm mapping door- it. So Lynn Woods Reservation Trail. I'm just going to map it from Boston because I know people 
Oh. It's like 45-ish minute drive right now from Boston. So if anyone has any Boston plans, it's not too far. You can get there. (laughs) Or if you're going to Salem in October, you can make a little pit stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the door to the cave can be found within the rock crevice. And if you do want to go explore, make sure you bring a flashlight and not just use your phone flashlight because uh, we know what happens in paranormal places. Your batteries die. Yes. It will be drained. You'll have no light. Any photos you take will disappear. You'll have no proof. Disappear. And you might disappear. No, you won't. Actually, I don't think there's records of people disappearing. But uh, I don't know. People do get lost because there's a lot of, lot of miles of hiking trails. And if the ghosts are leading you astray, who knows where you'll end up? Okay, this is incredible. I love this. And I also looked up Walden Pond because I'm like, I swear people bring their kids to Walden Pond. Why do I know Walden Pond? And yes, it is. It's where a lot of people in the area bring their kids to like walk out into the water and enjoy. But it's also um, where Henry Thoreau lived. Walden Pond. So there's Henry Thoreau. The spirit of Thoreau might be walking amongst these trails and other spirits looking for for booty as well. Booty, 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 booty. Hiding everywhere. Hiding everywhere. Hiding everywhere. Henry David Thoreau, show us your booty. (laughs) Throw it over there. Throw it over there. (laughs) Throw it over there. Oh, man. I would love, 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 love to be the type of person who discovered buried treasure. Like how sick so sick also so stressful because it's like do you have to hide it from everyone is it going to be confiscated from you if you tell people are you going to be a target to be murdered if Mm. people know you have it i guess it depends on what type of buried treasure you know like are you uncovering secrets or are you getting super wealthy because those two things well not always i was gonna say those things warrant different reactions but not always because sometimes yeah. people don't want the hidden history to be unveiled. Okay. So this is another reason I am obsessed with the deep ocean because think about how many ships have crashed or sunk or whatever has happened out in the ocean. The ocean is not only the biggest burial ground, it is also filled with treasure. Filled. Filled. It's so spooky. Ah, 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 ah. And I'm obviously on conspiracy side of TikTok. And there's <laughs> there's all these clips I keep saying. And I've done zero research to see if it's true or not. But basically, it was something about when there were, were these... There was this team of investigators who would spend a lot of time investigating things in the ocean, discovering things, researching things. And they came across almost like another ocean within the ocean where it was just highly dense. And the saline was just, it basically like wouldn't let their contraption go through it. Their robot Mm. was bouncing off of it. And so it just makes, I mean, regardless of if that's true or not, and if it is true, what that means it's just is so wild to me that there's so many things that we don't understand. You know, like the 
where the ocean floor like drops off and goes so significantly deeper that we today would never be able to see what's down there. Like, what the hell is there? Send me in. Put me in, coach. Put you in. Maybe you'll maybe you'll prove that the megalodon is real. Maybe that will be <laughs> what you do. See, I don't I don't care about the megalodon at all. I want to find bones and treasure. Yeah. yeah, it's also making me think of the movie. Wow, why can't I remember it? I just re- recently watched. Oh, it was the most recent Black Panther movie, and there's this whole group of. I don't want to spoil it, but if anyone hasn't seen the most recent Black Panther, there's basically these aquatic creatures, this variation, this mutant of human, and they live in the water. But specifically, they have this area within the ocean that is oxygenated. So they can, like regular humans, if you can get deep down and that far, far in, you could live there. Oh, it's like this bubble. That's cool. Yeah, it is very cool. I like that. I can't imagine we have another story from Dungeon Rock, but I'm curious what listener story you pulled. We don't have one from Dungeon Rock, but I picked something that I thought was appropriate to read for this episode. Okay. I'm also so fidgety. Fidgety. I realized I can't sit still. That, that was me last it's night. It's so hard. Or last night. No, I really do need like a fidget spinner. I, that's, honestly, I feel like sometimes when there's background noises and we tell Christina to cut them, it's usually me dropping something or like my hair clip or because I'm always touching something. I'm always moving. Okay. This is called A Weekend in the Appalachians. Oh. So I thought that was fitting because, you know, the Appalachian Mountains, they... They go all along the East Coast. You can hop mm-hmm. on the Appalachian Trail up in Maine and head on down through Massachusetts to uh, eventually get down to wherever it ends, Georgia, something like that. Okay. Okay. I have to correct myself. I look. I just looked up Walden Pond again because I was like, Thoreau being in Lynn doesn't really make sense to me because I thought that I had already been where Thoreau had been because he lived in Concord, Massachusetts, I thought. And I had like gone and seen all that stuff. So I was like, what the heck is this? And I, apparently there's two Walden Ponds. So not oh. the one in Lynn, the one in Concord, Massachusetts is throw. I'm glad I looked that up because I was like, this doesn't make sense. I've been here, but in a different place, part of the state. Okay. Anyhow, Massachusetts Anyhow, Usually we correct ourselves in later episodes and we did it in the same episode. So that is a um, yeah. step in the right direction. No one has us. to correct me. I knew I knew something was off about that. <laughs> I did a little extra research. You okay. could feel it. I could feel it. All right. So this is called A Weekend in the Appalachians. Hey, girls. Thanks in advance for letting me tell you this story. I've only told this to my partner and the girls that I was on vacation with. So maybe you have a better idea of what happened than we do. I have a spooky story from this summer when I went for a weekend with my two best friends in upstate New York in the Appalachian Mountains. When we were there, we went for two nights. And the first night, everything was normal. I got up there late. We had a fire in the yard, went to bed late, and then got up the next day to hike to the waterfall. Weird stuff started to happen the second night. I typically have trouble sleeping. I'm on sleep meds now, but at the time I wasn't. 
So I woke up around 3 to 4 a.m. I would usually wake up a few times in the night, so that wasn't too weird. And my friend and I were sharing a room, and they were in the other bed. I'm up for a bit, scrolling on my phone, when I start getting this weird feeling. I start to get scared, so I pull the covers completely over my head, and I start hearing footsteps. The rooms were upstairs. It was a small cabin, so just stairs and two bedrooms on the second floor with everything else on the first floor. And the footsteps sounded like they were outside of the door. I tried to attribute it to the cabin maybe being old, or maybe it was because it was made of wood and it was being creaky, and I just tried to fall back asleep. Next, I feel and hear three loud bangs on the top right side of my headboard. At this point, I had taken my head out of the blankets because I was getting hot and I did not see anything in the room. I closed my eyes again and I I lay completely still, hoping if something spooky was in there, maybe it would think I was asleep. I was terrified, and I know that doesn't really make sense. Then it feels like... No, that does. It does. It does. It's a tactic. Then it feels like the bed is tilting, like someone was lifting it from that corner, but so smoothly, almost like when a cruise ship slowly rocks, and I rolled towards the side that felt higher and held onto my mattress. This subsided when I heard distinctly in my head and could see... In my head, my eyes were closed, and I have never seen a ghost with my eyes, a young blonde boy, maybe aged five or six, with curly hair standing to the left of my bed, who said, want to play? I could feel him jump on the bed and jump (laughs) three times. And while this was happening, I had the feeling of a man in a long coat standing up by the right side of the headboard, almost supervising. I have a feeling this man was the one who was lifting the bed, or made it feel like that anyway. Uh Oh... Shortly after this subsided, and I felt safe enough to reach to the end table and take a Xanax I had in case I really can't sleep, all I wanted to do was fall asleep and for it to be morning. The next day, I asked my friends, one of them who was in the room with me, if they heard the banging, and neither of them did. I told them about what I experienced, and my friends are pretty spiritual, so they believe me, I think. The girl I was sharing a room with is into energies, etc., And she suggested that if I was tired, I may have been put in this space in between sleep and awake where it's easier to interact with spirits. So basically like the astral plane. I was definitely awake. So this is possible, I suppose, especially if the house and land was haunted. Now, I don't know what I really experienced. I would love to believe that I was dreaming, but I was awake before it all started scrolling on Twitter, very much not asleep. And I know it wasn't a dream because I was able to check the time which you can't in dreams. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I do consider myself to be in tune with people's energies and I trust my gut, but I've never had such active awareness and experience with something that may have been spirits. My little sister and my grandma have both seen ghosts before, but I've never seen or heard a spirit before, though I do get feelings sometimes, but never as clear as this. Okay, this is where things start to get weirder. We clean the cabin, follow all the rules, Wipe down the counters, all the dishes in the dishwasher, all the sheets in the washing machine, everything normal. The next day, we get a message from the Airbnb host saying the kitchen was a disaster, which we knew it was not. Then came the strangest message. The host found deer legs in a drawer of one of the rooms. We're all vegetarians. We're not hunters. And nothing smelled while we were in there. To be fair... We didn't open some of the drawers because we were only there for three days, 
but it was in the summer and we would have absolutely smelled some unrefrigerated deer legs in the bedroom. And the host clearly goes through everything after guests if she was going through the drawer then and didn't see anything before we arrived. To this day, no one has any idea how those deer legs appeared in the drawer. I kind of chalked this up to a weird experience and tried to forget about it because I couldn't explain it. And then months later, I finally download TikTok. I start seeing videos of weird, unexplained things in the Appalachian Mountains. But as far as I've read, they don't go into your house if you do the right things. Well, we didn't know about any of the lore before going, and we were hanging out late at night by the woods. We took a walk on the edge of the lake while the full moon was up and just spent a lot of time outside late into the night, going in and out of the house to grab snacks, a blanket, sometimes leaving the door open when we ran in. I wonder if we had taken proper Appalachian precautions, if everything would have been normal. But who knows? Clearly not not me. (laughs) I'm just making my best guess, trying to make sense of the weird experience that I had that night. (laughs) I think it was probably ghosts over whatever the mountain hides, but maybe there's a ghost in the mountains too. I have no idea. One thing I know for sure is I will not be going outside at night in the Appalachians ever again. Sending you love from New York City, Sarah. Okay. I too, I feel like throughout this whole email, Sarah is trying to rationalize everything that was happening. And I totally understand that because my mind first went to like, okay, is there someone who was kind of lurking in the Appalachian Mountains and the house was empty for a certain amount of time? Like who knows? I wonder when the host came to the house and looked at it. Like maybe it was, there was a night between when they left and the host came was did someone in the mountains like see that it was empty and like go in there, make a meal for themselves and made a mess? I don't know. But, and I also, I really want to know like what happened with the host. Yeah. Like, did the host believe them? I mean, did they get charged? Right. Yeah. Are they banned from Airbnb? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like this, this couldn't be the first time something odd has happened to the host, maybe, right? But it is so weird. And, to your point, Serena, if there was someone just kind of hiding and lurking and fooling around with things, it reminds me of Gerald's game a little bit. Did you ever watch that or read that? I think it's a Stephen King novel, isn't it? I watched the movie. It came out like five years ago. Basically, I'm going to give you complete spoilers. But the the basically what happens is there's a couple, they go to this cabin. They're having a little bit of sexy time. She gets handcuffed to the bed. The guy dies, has a massive heart attack, and she's chained to the bed. She feels like people keep coming in. She like sees this guy come in. She sees this dog come in like a wolf. She keeps seeing things come into the room, but she hasn't had water or food in days now. So she's fully thinking she's hallucinating. She sees this guy who's really scary looking, like cloaked, bald man come in and eat her husband who's dead on the ground. Thinks it's a hallucination. It's not. She she did see it. Wait, now I want to watch this movie. It's, my God, this sounds right up my alley. Yeah, you, Gerald's Game. Yeah, Gerald's Game. You've got to watch it. Okay. We were talking on Campfire Stories the other night or yesterday from when we were recording this about having a summer movie watch list. Mm-hmm. This has to be okay, on. Okay, we'll there. put Gerald's Game on. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna okay, add it to it. Then I'm gonna text it to myself. Okay. But that ju- it does it. make me wonder, you know, especially the deer legs. Like it just seems like such an odd, weird thing that someone else would maybe they 
I thought that perhaps Sarah and Sarah's friends would open the drawer and they would get to witness the chaos that would ensue and the fear that would would come with finding that, but they didn't. And so the host did. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm curious. And there's a lot of things about this story that I don't have answers to. And like, kind of cute that it was a little kid jumping up and down on the bed, like saying, want to play and that there was a elder spirit kind of chaperoning. But it is super, super creepy because we've talked about like, just the words, do you want to play? is horrifying from a spirit from a human unless it's for we we sports unless is the only we. thing i want to play and do i think it's one thing if it's a little kid that's kind of just bouncing on the bed and then just runs off it's another thing if you feel mm-hmm. this presence over you and feel the bed tilt and like know that whatever's happening is feels at the time more strong and powerful than you and that's so scary yeah. especially to have too like a duo it's kind of like where do you look because one thing is trying to get your attention this little spirit of a boy while something else is lurking a lot closer to you right by the headboard so it's like is this thing is the kid trying to distract me from what's happening over here but what do you do we don't know scary oh my god sarah i feel like so many people have had encounters in the appalachian mountains so if you're one of those people, or if you've been to Dungeon Rock in Lynn, Massachusetts, or if you have any paranormal encounters or supernatural, just strange things happen to you, please email them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, subscribe, do all that stuff. Tell everybody about us. Uh, the yeah. pyramid scheme is real and it works. And join us on uh, Patreon, where we go live every Tuesday for Campfire Stories and invite you, our listeners, to come share your stories live. And also, if you don't have stories, you can just come and enjoy everyone else tell their stories. We also have like fun events every month, um, paranormal news, lots of extra bonus content mm-hmm. over there. And social media. Follow us on social media. We have a website, twogirlsonecoast.com, where you can uh, subscribe. And just check every once in a while, too, because we're hoping to have more live shows. We had so much fun in Portland and New Brunswick. So it's it's on our yes. our bucket list for the next, within the next year to, year? to get yeah. a few more. So head over there. Join us. Stay in the know. Love us forever. Stay just a while. Like we love you. <laughs> and thank you to Christina, who edits our podcast. There was a lot in this one, we'll be honest. <laughs> A lot of pee breaks. Yeah. Yeah. And technical difficulties. And brain malfunctions. assembling over words. Yes. So thank you, Christina. Thank you to all of you for listening. We love you. And we will see you on the other side. Very spooky.